0: Welcome everyone back to another episode of the Field Guide Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Drotz, crops extension educator for Stearns, Benton, and Morrison County. And with me is the guy who's, you know, I don't know, he might be providing all the wind out there. It sounds like he's, you know, huffing and puffing quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> Michael Cruz out of Houston, Fillmore County. So how are you doing today, Mike?
1: I'm doing fantastic. It's a bit of a trip up here, but no, I'm not huffing and puffing too bad.
0: Well, we always enjoy having you up here and, and glad glad that you could be with us today and, and especially in person like this. So, again, I'd like to welcome back Jake Sure. We have just had a conversation with him, but we had some topics that we didn't get a chance to get to in our Uh, previous episode and so how are you doing today jake good
1: good thank you very much for joining us again jake and the the main topic we're actually going to talk about today is white mold and so nathan here's your chance to be an educator can you tell our audience what is white mold you had to ask that question, didn't you? I
0: did. What is white mold? Well, I mean, it's, it's a fungal growth. Uh, typically, it's, you know, when we see it in fields, it turns into a white fuzzy kind of mass. It's usually a little slimy uh, early on, and then it kind of puffs out. It does take on yield. It comes up through your stem, and it hits your flowers. And so, essentially, as you go along, it replaces a lot of your seed with these white fungal masses. And so, you lose your uh, seed, and so you lose yield. It kills the plant prematurely. Typically, when you drive through, well, if you're like me and you're driving through Bend County, you look out there and you see a bunch of what appears to be dead little brown hooks in the field. That's usually a good indication that something's going on and and usually I associate that with white mold.
1: All right. And what crop are we talking about? This would be
0: soybeans. So, uh, you know, typically we're thinking in pods of soybeans. This does not affect corn. It does have some hosts outside of soybeans. But yeah, for the most part, we're talking about soybeans, uh, edible beans, basically anything or a lot of your legumes, you're like that.
1: All right, Jake, uh, rumor has it that you've got a little bit of this out on your property. Can you kind of talk to us just briefly maybe about your experience uh, and what you've seen on your farm as far as white mold is concerned?
2: Yeah, it can be a really big problem. We've been noticing it's been getting worse and worse the last five years, and it probably goes along with higher yields better plant growth you know you're getting bigger plants higher yield potential and it's for me it's really frustrating when you're walking in in July in beans that are chest high and they've got a potential to be 60 plus and white mold comes in and takes 30 40 percent of the crop and from where it attacks the stem the seeds are done above them. We've had you know 60 plus potential beans and we harvest 40 bushel beans right and or it isn't you got fantastic beans where you hit those spots the combine just goes quiet and, yeah. and it's been getting worse every year it seems like we are in northeast benton county we do tend to be a little cooler up here the dew comes on a little faster in the evenings it stays roughly an hour longer in the morning so our plants don't have as long a time to dry out so i think that's one of the biggest culprits with raising soybeans up in our area if you're pushing, you know, for higher yields. Right,
1: right. When did you first kind of notice that you had a white mold issue? I mean, is this very recent? Have you
2: been dealing with it for a number of years? 10, 12 years ago, you'd start to see small patches. Um, Usually where you had too much manure or you got stuck in the snow or where the manure spreader got it on too heavy and probably had more lush, bigger plants, and that's where you would start seeing these brown circles appear. Yeah. And then it seemed to progress where it's starting to take, you know, huge chunks out Mm -hmm. of the field. And, you know, when it comes in, you're basically helpless. You just watch your crop deteriorate, which is probably the most frustrating thing.
1: Right. This isn't like a weed where you can just go out and pull the thing. This isn't that type of a fix. Nope. Nope. So over the last 10 years, what type of approaches have you taken to try to address this situation?
2: Well, when we got really serious about it, probably five years ago, we started looking at seed variety because we were noticing different seeds and how it reacted. You know, if you had straighter, taller beans, you had... Less problems. You still have white mold, but not. But if you had the big, tall ones that lodged and tangled up, they were right. more susceptible. So yeah. our seed selection is. We started number one seed population was another one. We went from 140 down to 130, and now we're kind of sitting at about 120 to 115, and I don't know if we'll go much lower. Can. Spreading the plants out, trying to improve airflow. But if you know anything about beans, they like to branch and get bushy. You yeah. know, if they're spread apart, they'll put on more tentacles and get it'll kind of self-regulate. Yep. So I don't know if you're going to gain anything by going mm-hmm. less. Seed selection has been a big part of it. You know, fertility, we've cut. We used to foliar feed. When well, our second pass of Roundup, we took that out because we're getting all this lush growth. Why promote it? You know, so right. we're taking them $5, or $6 an acre charge there. And now we're going to start putting that into something where we can combat it a little bit better. Try a fungicide. Sure. First time we've done that last year was the first time we used a fungicide.
1: And so, did you have some pretty good success with that last year?
2: We had a beautiful crop, 60 plus, 61 bushel average straight through. Yep. I can't say the fungicide was 100% affected, was responsible for that, because last year was minimal white right. mold. Talk to me in 10 years, and so <laughs> you see the good and the bad. Right. I think, you know, the all the research that we've looked at and stuff, I think that's the best approach, you know, right. but it's a kind of a three-prong, you know, fertility seed spacing seed selection and a fungicide is probably your best mode of action right
1: and i I know you've been working with extension on this quite a bit and dan martins and this young man right over here to my to my right here nathan can you kind of speak to kind of how jake's approach maybe fits in with what we might consider to be best practices you know some of the other approaches maybe that he hasn't really tried yet
0: Well, and I think uh, on that front, he's really tried just about everything because when we first started talking about this, I know when you talked to Dan, you know, one of the first things we mentioned was, you know, focus on your agronomic practices first. Uh, If you can get your agronomic practices under control, then start looking to adjust the actual fungicide chemical input program. And that's really what we've got going on here. And, you know, reduce populations, increase row widths as best as you can, increase their row spacing, look at your varietals. And I know, uh, Jake, you mentioned it earlier, and and I think you're still looking at that where you're looking at the more upright beans, something that goes more upright, leaves a little bit more space in between. And then, of course, uh, one of the things that we talked about was weed management. You know, we we can't forget, you know, certain weeds will be play as a host to this since we always get out there and i know usually towards the end right before harvest here you I'm always out usually out here at least once or twice and we go out there and every so often we run across a few weeds and they we got to get those out and, and so that's another scenario where i'm hitting at home and then uh, with the addition of the fungicide the big thing there is that with severe infections that's definitely an option it's really comes down to the timing and i don't remember what you what timing did you aim for last year
2: first flower
0: okay so Single application? Yep. Okay. And so that's, you know, that's really what we're looking at there, you know, depending on the product, too, because you use, I don't remember what which product it was, but uh, it was the single pass product. There are a few dual pass products that are one and R3, I believe, yeah. that you could have done. And so this is... You know, in, in terms of what we're looking at through the university or through, uh, you know, like uh, a crop advisory s- sort of scenario, that's definitely where we're going to advance first in the agronomic practices and then moving into the chemical control as best as we can.
1: Sure, sure. I guess this is a question for both of you. Do you see a path out of the fungicide use so to use the fungicide to kind of get things back under control but that be the ideal path forward nathan i mean
2: is that kind of what you're hoping for jake I, i'm just kind of curious on
1: both your opinions
2: i think it's just going to be uh a yearly management practice because white mold we've tried to treat it with contends after harvest where the scrotia is on top of the mm-hmm. soil and you go in and try to You'll spray it with uh, Contans, and it's supposed to kill it. And then they said the best is 90%. So if you only leave 10% out there, you know, that tells me with our fungicide, even if you have 5 or 10% there, the right year, the right conditions, it's going to blow up without a fungicide to cause a lot of problems again.
1: Sure. So kind of with the idea that over a 10, 15-year span, that input's going to pay off. It might not pay off every year but you know you hit that right year yeah you know, you're gonna head off that five or ten percent got it any uh any opinions on that one nathan
0: and i mean i think that's relatively reasonable i think there will be a point you know it's all like with our weed management where you know i will never advocate for partial rates but if you've got a runaway weed issue typically you know we want to get out there and we get want to hit it hard and try to get that taken care of first and then you could start backing off on some of this and really play that by the year, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, if you've got giant ragweed, water hemp and got, you know, lamb's quarters, and maybe if you're really unlucky, maybe you're one of the few people who has kosher or something in the area, then, you know, then it's time to go... For lack of a better word, nuclear on on it and burn it down to the ground and right. then for a few years there and then back off. once you know you've got some things under control there, and I think that's a similar situation here where fungicides for the first few years to make sure that you get it really under control to get that sclerotia and get that population down. and, and then after that, really m- focusing in on that, those agronomic practices, especially varietal selection because and I've seen it before where you know you, you if you plant the wrong soybean variety, it can hurt you. And so one of the big things there you can't forget about it. You got to make sure to do the paperwork and you got to make sure that when you're putting together a crop program for the next year that you're taking that into account.
1: Yeah, so one of the we talk about agronomics here and one of the trade-offs that you get when you're taking your seed population that low thinking about spacing out your your row spacing a little bit more right now all of a sudden that crop canopy isn't closing quite as soon as it did before and we know for a fact that a good healthy crop is one of the best ways to control weeds and so I'm kind of curious Jake have you seen any extra weeds any sort of extra weed pressure any change in your weed populations Since you've kind of made that shift over the last, you know, 10 to 12
2: years or whatever it might have been? I really haven't seen the canopy. I don't see the lodging anymore. Okay. But I see just as good a cover. You know, you don't see no space between the rows where the weeds can, sunlight can get out and germinate the weeds. I think if you do a good job with weed control, I don't think that's an issue because your beans have a tendency to fill in even at lower populations. We just don't want to get into that where there's too many out there, they're right. getting chest high, and then they're lodging and twisting up and choking everything out. So, gotcha, gotcha. You know, I'm not raising a short bean where you can see the dirt in between the rows, which you know, that's will go to what Nathan's talking about, germination of weeds. You know, yeah. we're still seeing closed canopy. yeah. And I think it's closing as fast as it's ever has. It's just not as thick. Not as so. thick.
1: Got it. Yeah, Nathan, have we have we seen some of that play out in other places though? Especially like Jake had mentioned when we go down to a shorter beam?
0: You have to be careful. Yeah, I mean when you're dealing with canopy and. You want to make sure it's a high-quality canopy, which is probably a pretty poor way to look at that. But, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I've been out here at your place multiple times, and I've never, you know, we've always gotten in there, and it's always been a pretty high-quality canopy. It's just it hits a little bit later, and it gives you a little bit better airflow. So that way, at that point in time when we're going to be running that risk of white mold, so that R1 flowering stage, when that white mold hits and attacks that plant, We've still got just enough space there where I think airflow is moving through it. And I think that's what's, uh, I think that's helping out quite a bit. And then it, it's closing up shortly thereafter. So like I said, we go out and we hand pull, he goes <laughs> out and hand pulls a lot of those weeds. And so, you know, the, the, the escapes that come out afterwards that, you know, that cannot be understated here as definitely helping with that. Because in a lot of cases where you're getting that later canopy closure, you've got to be so cautious Otherwise, you can get weed escape, and then you get to the end of the season, and you've got the the water hemp, you know, the little water hemp heads poking through the top of the canopy, and that's not, you know, right. you're, you're trading off one really bad problem for another really bad problem.
1: Right, right. So, Jake, just uh, maybe briefly here, can you touch on your your weed control program? Uh, I know we touched on it the first podcast we did with you, but just really briefly, so then people can kind of put these two pieces together on how you are managing your weeds along with this white mold issue.
2: Uh, we're sticking with the two pass roundup. We try to hit them at optimal time. When we have first emergence, less than two inches, we'll yep. do our first pass. And about July 1st, July 4th area in there, we're looking, when we start seeing the weeds pop up and they're in that two inch or less range or just emerge, we'll hit it with the second pass. Gotcha. This year we had a little bit of an issue because it was dry. And before the second pass, we had some weeds that were two inches. And I sprayed everything, and then we've got two, three, four inches of rain. And we did have some escapes, like on the ends of the field, where there's some compaction, where the beans didn't canopy as quick. Right. So we did have a few dirty spots in the field. Yeah. It's not a foolproof, you know, but I'd say we get 90, 95% weed control every year with that program. Right. And, And then I go after the water hemp, and I walk and pull that. I usually, that's my summer exercise program right that walk walk fields an hour every day in the morning just go and you know take a different section try to be back into that same field 10 days later and and hemp's really amazing you walk through a field come back three four days later and all of a sudden one's a foot over the canopy it's like where'd you come from (laughs) (laughs) you ain't gonna live long (laughs) (laughs) so um we keep it simple cost down you know about Eight dollars an acre, chemical yep. cost, so, you know, and I feel pretty good about it. I can spend some time out in that field when I start looking at what other people are spending to try to control this weed. Yeah, yep. whether I'm going to be able to maintain it, I think Mother Nature is, you know, I'm losing that battle, but yeah. for now, I can still stay with them. Yeah, so yeah, birds and other stuff keep spreading it around. Yeah, know? so
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: So for now it's working and, you know, economic benefits, I make good wages walking my fields.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I think we're coming to this point more and more often now where walking fields is becoming more a necessity. It's logical. It Mm -hmm. pays. Another good example of this, um, we've heard stories out of Nebraska, the Kansas area with Palmer Amaranth.
2: That's a, dir- that's a dirty word. Don't even. Talk oh, I know. To don't talk about it. I don't want it. I got one problem. I don't want to know. No,
1: one. no. We talk about it. I mean, Nathan, if if you could just touch briefly on maybe some of the things that we've seen from that plant and, and kind of how it relates to what Jake is maybe.
0: Seeing well, and, and we know that Palmer's is going to be an issue, and of course, you talked to Jared Goff. He's tired of talking about this one, and and <laughs> so far, I think we've dodged a bullet there and that. The eradication efforts, I believe, have worked to some degree. And, of course, you know, when it comes to Mother Nature, a a very smart soil scientist used to say, always bet on Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's kind of where I'm at at this point, is I'm just betting on her, and she's going to win that one. But, you know, in terms of weed control, or in terms of polymer issues, it's more competitive. It produces more seed. It's a bigger plant. It takes more yield. It can grow in... Many different environments. You yep. know, we've already seen it up in Minnesota, different places. It is, you know, I always, I always call it, you know, it's the bigger, older, meaner brother of, of water hemp, is what it is. Right. You know, we're, we might have to deal with that. We might not. Water hemp, right now, I'd be very happy. And the the one nice thing about controlling polymer is that the way you control Palmer is the same way you control water hemp. Yep. And so if you can figure out how to control water hemp, the the ideas and the the practices transfer.
1: Yeah, yeah, so figure out the right practices, good chemical approach, maybe moving in some tillage, but the hand pulling and the walking, especially on those spots where either you have a miss or you can maybe have a washout from a neighbor, stuff like that, is really important.
0: One, and I know a weed scientist down in that southeast area, you yeah. know, she always talks about, you know, if you got anger and aggression... Nothing quite like pulling them weeds out by the roots, you know. So <laughs> big I mean, thumbs up here. Yeah, there you go. the table. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it, it's one of those things where that is, you know, it's definitely something that's a valuable and valid, and we even teach that. I know, I just gave a presentation here a couple, three weeks ago, where that was one of the last things we talked about, which is after you've exhausted everything else, and weeding is still you have got to get it, so you don't let it go to seed because yeah. once it goes to seed, especially something like water hemp. It is no longer just a problem. It is the problem. Exactly,
1: exactly. Well, uh, Jake, do you have any other uh, major issues, anything that you're dealing with on your farm that kind of come up and you got to learn how to deal with those things?
2: Well, nematodes is one that's got put on the radar this year for the first time. Had little patches once in a while on sandier knolls in the field, and it really thought it was fertility, shorter beans in an area in the field. And this year with the drier... Late June, early July, we seen some patches and really uneven beans. Are knee high, and then they be ankle high. And uh, another great, good thing about walking your fields, I seen this, spotted it early. Right. Called up my Well, what is this? Is this fertility? Well, let's go take a probe. We pull a sample, come off the charts for nematodes. Right. And so that was a real eye opener. You know, you don't hear much of about, about this. Yeah. But so now we probably took in that field. Our other fields were running 60 plus. That field ran in uh 55 range. So definite yield loss there really took a bite, you know, the potential for yield. Right. So And we've seen at harvest hit them patches and the beans are shorter. And there yep. wasn't, you know, lush. And if there's a strip where you didn't, then just, you know, you see the yield difference right away. Right, so, right. So that's our winter discussion. We started, right? <laughs> I said, how are we going to attack this problem? so uh, I talked to Nathan that was my first go to got this problem out here. Yeah talked to my seed rep we're looking at so we talked to varieties that are resistant which is one step and a sure here. So then we started talking about a uh, treatment on the seed nemastrike so okay. which is supposed so that's the two prong approach we're taking so we got varieties out there that are resistant and now we're going to treat that field where well, we have seen the nematodes we're going to treat that field. Right. We don't in our other section, where the home place is at, I didn't see any hematodes. So we're just probably treating about 30% of our seed this year because it's a, quite a bit of added expense. But yeah. we're, we're going directly after the source. So. Yep. Yep. Getting back to Nathan's mother nature, you, you fix one problem, you got another one's going to come up. The exactly. higher yields, higher fertility, I think you're always going to be something coming into play in the game. Yeah,
1: so. yeah. And Nathan, we see a lot of different issues with soybeans in particular. I'm kind of curious if you can speak to what type of problems you might also see in a field where you've got white mold, so fungi, types of conditions that make that grow, uh, or you can also speak to maybe some of the other things that you've seen in the area up here uh, that are of greatest concern.
0: Yeah, I mean, in terms of what the conditions are, are we for white mold in that area, so uh, cool wet soils for right. white mold, of course. Uh, last year, we had pretty good conditions for sudden death syndrome, which feeds off of that soybean systematode issue there, and, and that's really uh Driving around last year, we had quite a bit of it, yeah. and that was a bit of a surprise. You know, we really hadn't seen a, as much as I think we did last year, and so that's something to keep an eye on in this area. And it was bad enough, a couple of extension guys uh, who had driven through the area, we had that conversation. They're like, oh, that's what that was. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we had a of sun death syndrome last, you know, this last year. So it's one of those things where it's around. We need to be aware of it. The nice thing here is that, well, I should say nice thing. But, you know, with with rotations, corn, soybeans, uh, with some small grains in there, or alfalfa, depending on your rotation, you may or may not be a concern. Yeah. Moving forward, but I would definitely keep an eye on that as that progresses in this area. I would expect that to, I'd expect the trend to of those problems to continue.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, do you have any follow up questions, maybe, for Jake here on the topics that we've covered the white mold, the nematodes, the weed control, anything like that?
0: Well, and I mean, I guess I've got really one follow up here, and I, I think, uh, Jake, you know, it would be good for you to talk about one of the things that I've always liked about your program is that, you know, the one thing you always say is, I don't care about year one, I care about after 10 years. Could you elaborate on that a little bit and tell us what what we're looking for there?
2: To evaluate anything on our farm, it's over a 10-year program. You know, you look at the long and the short to take the good and the bad out of it, and if we're attacking white mold, do we want to see over a 10-year period where we lessen the big boom? If we can keep yields, a 10% reduction, you know, and use a fungicide, i look at that as a plus. If you're losing 30%, there's a lot of money out there that use these products and still net a return. So it's all about, you know, dollars and cents. For me, getting back a Farm Business Manage, if you spend a dollar, you want to get two back. That's always been my philosophy when you look at any of these programs, you're not just buying bushels. You know, what's the sense of a uh, fungicide out there and it costs you $20 an acre and beans are $10 and you gain two bushels. You're not gaining anything. But 30% it's an eye-opener when you look at 60 plus and you're losing 15 to 18 bushel beans. One thing I might add about white mold that we didn't talk about is fertility. We've got everything grid sampled on the farm and we've gone to applying all our P&K VRT now. We want to get a consistent Fertility across the field and not have any hot spots where you'll grow bigger taller patches where white mold will be more susceptible Because anytime you have a patch that will spread across the rest of the field. So our fertility programmers We're trying to raise the same bean on this end of the field as the other end fertility wise So it's all the same so we don't get any of these real lush thick patches where the fertility is high and then you have shorter beans and you don't have any white mold there. Well, this end of the field is better because you only have white mold, but it's in that really lush patch. is going to spread this grosch all over the field. So that's one approach we're going after as far as fertility. So it's, it's very refreshing to hear such a
1: multi prong approach to a very difficult problem. It really is. It really is. It's refreshing.
0: All right, well, I guess that is all the time we have now. Again, thanks to Jake for allowing us to come out here and bug you for a few hours here and, and have a great conversation as always. If you'd like to learn more about this podcast or get any other information about crop production or livestock, you could go to z.umn.edu and look for the information under the topics there. And of course, if you'd like to talk to your local educators, there is also a section on that same webpage where you can gain access to all of the local educators throughout Minnesota.
1: Thanks for joining us and we can't wait to see you guys next time.